ended our worship there this morning saying we will not be shaken. We are the people of God, empowered by him with vision, with um, a motivation to seeing his kingdom be advanced here on earth. And yet we have an enemy who longs to rob, kill, and destroy. But we're here this morning just to say we will not be shaken. And we said last week, we ended last week on the two words, stand firm. Stand firm. And that's what we're going to delve into this morning as we continue our series on encounters with Jesus. And we're going to talk about the encounter Jesus had with Satan. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And, uh, and I hope that it's uh, helpful for you. I hope that it's life-giving for you. We're in Matthew's Gospel, and we're at the end of chapter 3 and going into chapter 4. And it's on the brink of Jesus going public. Uh, up until this point, uh, we, we've heard about his birth. We heard about him when he went missing at the age of 12. And then here we are. He's about to go public. He's spent lots of his life making things out of wood. And, uh, and he's good to go. And, and this is the beginning of it. Um, we hear of this guy called John, and uh, he says this, or it says in Matthew, he's preaching in the wilderness of Judea, this is John the Baptist, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he uh, who has, was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. That was John's job. John the Baptist, he was to go before Jesus, the forerunner, announcing, pronouncing He's in the wild places. He's down by the river in River Jordan, and he's baptizing people. This, uh, this message of repentance, announcing the way. People are coming there to be baptized. And then one day, Jesus comes to be baptized. We're going to read the text, and uh, hopefully, good man, Ian, thank you so much. We've, uh, it's may, maybe slightly muffled there or whatever. With the, uh, You can't quite see with the different colors. I, I do this on my iPad to help me know who's talking because this is an encounter. This is like a bit of dialogue going on. This is what I do. And thank you, Ian. He's put this together with different colors, hopefully to help you to kind of follow who's saying what in the story, if that makes sense. Because I don't know about you. I know if I was sitting where you are and some bloke at the front or some lady at the front's reading, I just switch off straight away because that's just how I'm wired and I don't learn that well. So I hope that this helps you because it certainly helps me. Here we are, Matthew 3, 13 onwards. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and a lightning uh, on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then into the next uh, chapter, chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, 
set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. It's given to us because he loves us, because he cares for us, and because he wants us to not only learn from it, but to practice the things that, uh, that is written here. This is written by Matthew, the gospel writer who writes both accounts back to back, and they are bridged by a really important word. The really important word is then, or therefore. It bridges between the blessing and the voice of the Father and the incredible encounter that Jesus has in that moment. It bridges that incredible blessing with the trials and temptations that follow afterwards. And that's what we want to explore uh, here this morning. Jesus hasn't done anything in his earthly ministry at this point at the point of baptism, and yet it's at that moment when the father says to him, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. He rises from the water, he's experienced the Holy Spirit, and he's affirmed. But after this blessing, after the success, comes hardship, trials, and temptations. You will have heard us say this before, it's the blessing and the battle go hand in hand. We'll say it again, the blessing and the battle go hand in hand. It's one and the same. Sometimes we ex experience great blessing, great favor from God, and there's other times in life when we're just standing in the midst of what seems a battle. And oftentimes when we, uh, when we stand firm in amongst the battle, blessing comes after. But the enemy who roars like a lion is seeking to rob, kill, and destroy, and in that place of hardship and trial and temptation, often that is the place when God does the most incredible thing in us so that he can work through us. I remember uh, as an older teenager and as a young 20-something, I do remember those times, I remember going on weekends away, uh, youth fellowship type things, and, and I remember just encountering God in such a profound and amazing way. For, for, for our young people who go to summer madness or weekends away and things like that, they're just incredible times when, uh, when we get to really encounter Jesus in the most incredible way. And uh, we, we love it that our kids who are growing up, and I know many of yours as well, that they get those opportunities to do that because they're just life-changing. But I remember for myself in those times just having the most brilliant times and then returning home to be met with this feeling of just just feeling flat, not feeling the buzz anymore, not having someone lead worship for me and just being a part of it. I remember uh, just encountering just this, this uh, just temptation come my direction after having been in the most incredible presence of Jesus. 
It's just par for the course, to use a golfing analogy. We cannot live on the mountaintops. They are there to experience. They are the places that we love to go to, to encounter. But we do not live on the mountain. We live our lives in the valley. And God is equipping us in the mountaintops to actually live it out in the valley times. Jesus, full of the Spirit, affirmed by the words of the Father, sent out into the desert where he is tested. It doesn't matter what we do in life, how much we try and make our life um, easy or a blessing or success or joyful. Uh, It doesn't matter how talented or cautious we might be or savvy or diligent or hardworking or how much we pray. Whatever struggles are going to come our way this side of glory. That is just going to happen. And it's like I've already said, it's in those moments that God equips us and teaches us and goes deeper in us. It was never going to be easy. And Jesus says in John to his disciples, I've told you these things so that uh, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. No one is exempt. No one is exempt. It's often those who are pursuing Jesus and seeking after his kingdom, bad things or difficult circumstances are going to come our direction. And Jesus was not immune to this. This was round one, to use a boxing analogy. Ding, ding. Round one, it's tough in the desert for 40 days and the temptation that comes. There were many other rounds that he, Jesus, had. Uh, He suffered rejection. Uh, There were attempts made on his life. He was betrayed. He experienced poverty. Uh, He suffered grief. He suffered loss. He was tortured. And finally, he died. He was put to death. Par for the course, and he was Jesus. Um, Those of you who've seen the film The Passion, which uh, kind of documents Jesus' last few hours before the cross, uh, you'll have seen this image. And uh, my apologies, it's really, really unpleasant image, and, uh, but it's, it's from the film. And what the, what the director there was seeking to do, this is, uh, I think, uh, maybe just before Jesus was punished. Uh, there's a Roman soldier there and Roman soldiers, but the black uh, kind of outfit and the baby, that, that was just a, a portrayal of, of, of that Satan was there that he was there. And it's, it's quite a not nice image to be seeing. Um, but the reason I'm kind of showing you this is simply to say we do have an enemy who is a fallen angel who has rule and dominion and influence over our lives. Uh, he has the ability to govern our thoughts, our words, our actions. He can affect individuals, families, neighborhoods, towns, and whole nations. And this side of Jesus' return, he has a a rule uh, on earth. We partner with Jesus because he's the good guy. And the good guys always win. You watch those films. You watch the Star Wars and the Lord of the Rings films. The kingdom films. Maybe I'll get into trouble for maybe saying that. But they have a kingdom message behind those films. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We press ahead firmly with the advancement of God's kingdom. His rule and reign are more likely to encounter greater attack when it comes to spiritual warfare. I don't know how many of you have been reading, but this week Alan Scott, our friend from Causeway Coast, has been writing a brilliant blog for the last five days, and I think the next five days, uh, a devotion. And you can get that off their website. It's really, really short for those of you who don't like reading much. And, um, and it's really, really helpful. Some really brilliant things. I'm going to take a few snippets, actually, from last week and steal them. That's the credit given to him. Uh, anything else, uh, that's that. Here's some words from what he said. <clears throat> the release of the kingdom, this is God's kingdom, is increased in the presence of our foes. When God gives you your assignment, your enemy is awakened. However, in order to contend for the future God has for you, you have to learn to take your stand in the midst of broken circumstances, to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. You have to learn to stand firm in the presence of intense spiritual warfare. When you're experiencing him, pursuing him, stepping into his purposes, be assured that the enemy will attack. Uh, I got some... uh, Difficult news during the week from uh, our partner churches in Turkey and Azerbaijan during the week. Uh, Some of you will know that back in May I went to visit uh, in Istanbul uh, certain vineyard churches there just doing the most incredible work in what is a really, really predominantly uh, Islamic uh, nation. And they have partners with another church in, in Azerbaijan. And just the stories that I heard there, it just is, it's just the enemy's work at hand, seeking to rob, kill, and destroy the great stuff that those churches are doing. And uh, I I would really uh, invite you and ask you just to pray for those churches there. Uh, it's, it's It's just terrible to see the enemy's work there. But we will not be shaken. We won't be shaken. And we must stand firm. And we must contend. And we must press in to Jesus prayerfully. So, this encounter that Jesus has with Satan, it gives us insight into two things. Firstly, how Satan tests and tempts, but how does Jesus stand up and withstand? Let's look at how the enemy, uh, how Satan used or how he came to attack. It says three things, three times. First time, he says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He then says, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down, for it is written. And then he quotes scripture. Sneaky. That's so sneaky. And I am sure that we have fallen foul of the enemy's lies through the word of the Lord. You've read, a, you've read some scripture, and you might have interpreted it correctly, but it's made you feel so terrible that Satan then actually uses that scripture to make you feel even worse and punish you even more than you already feel. Or, equally, you could have misinterpreted what the Scripture really is saying, and then he can twist and turn that as well. He knows the Bible. He knows the Word of the Lord. And he tries to use it here with Jesus in order to twist the truth. And then thirdly, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Do you notice what he is trying to do? Do you see 
the words that he is using to rob, kill, and destroy. First thing, make some bread when he's hungry. Jump off from the highest point in the temple and worship him. He does all this by questioning Jesus' identity. And that's really important that we understand this thing, identity. He questions it. He says twice, if you are the son of God, if, it's almost it's questioning who he really is. Satan knows who he is, and yet he questions it. This is Jesus, the one who's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's just been empowered by God's Spirit, and he's had the voice from heaven say who he is. This is my son. Identity. This man is my son, and I am well pleased. I mean, that's unquestionable, isn't it? It's pretty clear that he knew his identity. And yet Satan would come because he's the accuser and the slanderer to question Jesus' identity. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, We are not unaware of the devil's schemes. When I read that, just my brain, I kind of thought, that doesn't sound right. Because there's two, are they double negatives? The not and the unaware. Is that what you're saying? Yes? That makes a positive, right? So it actually means we are aware of the devil's schemes. Yes? Why didn't Paul write that? We are aware of his schemes. Alan's blog says a few things. The schemes of the enemy are utterly predictable. But how often we miss it. Don't we? We're unaware. And yet his schemes are predictable. He can only give you who he is. Who is he? He's the accuser. And so he accuses us. The enemy seeks to get your heart caught up in his reality, his failure, and his fear. The enemy always points to your failure, not your favor. He always reminds you of your past, never your future. He points to your brokenness, not your greatness. Satan, the word means slanderer or accuser. And he launches accusation directly in our thoughts. Oftentimes he does it through others, sometimes through the culture at large. But we know how he works. And sadly, we've all been subject to these relentless lies. They're the devil's schemes. He accuses and slanders our identity and who we are and who we belong to. This is my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Our identity, if we choose to know who we are in Jesus and we have relationship with him, place your name there. This is my daughter. This is my son. With you, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. That's our identity. But it's so easy to allow, to begin to listen to the tapes of the enemy who sows these things through our thoughts and through words which are spoken to us. Um, some examples. You're a failure as a parent. You're messing up your kids. You really hurt everyone around you. Be, e be better if you stayed away from people. 
The reason you're lonely is because you're a loser. You're not a real Christian. You rarely pray or read the Bible. You blew it at work. The reason you aren't further along in your career is because of your own failures. You don't really belong. Your family would be better off without you. They're scripts that come from the evil one. And some of you will resonate with some of those. And some of you won't, but you'll have your own tapes that you've heard, that you've listened to, and you've begun to believe, and they are lies from the evil one. They accuse, they attack, and they rob, kill, destroy, and they go after our identity. So, how does Jesus respond to this onslaught of attack? How does he deal with the evil one? There are two things, and then we'll come into land. First, he's full of the Holy Spirit. In this moment, he is full of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, he has spent 30 years up until this point communing with the Father, being with the Father, spending time in his presence, being with him. He knew without a shadow of a doubt, who he was and who he belonged to. He knew his identity. You've heard me ask this question before, and I think it's the question that every single human being on this earth is asking of themselves. They might not be asking the direct question, but their lives and their lifestyles are asking this very question. Some of them get the answer to it, and some of them never find the answer to the question. And it's this, who am I? Who am I? There are people in this room, you're still wondering. There are many, many, many people on this earth. Whether they're asking that direct question, they're consciously thinking of that question, or whether through their lives and what they're pursuing and what they're doing is asking that very question. Who am I? It is important that we ask that question. And we ask our maker and our father to reveal to us deeply in our souls who we really are. Jesus stands firm in his true identity. But secondly, he stands firm because he knows and he's built his life on the word of God. He knows the scriptures. Each time Satan comes at him, Jesus says, it is written, it is also written, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Three times. And three times he quotes the scriptures. This is the word of the Lord. You're saying this, but it says that. It contradicts what you're saying because the word of the Lord is the truth. Ephesians 6, well-known passage to many of us. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then in verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And we've looked at this before very briefly, six items Six 
things that Paul uses to the, to the church there in Ephesus uh, in which we are to clothe ourselves. Six military items used for battle. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith to extinguish the burning arrows, the lies that come to our heads, into our thoughts, the helmet of salvation, and the sword, the spirit of truth, which is the word of God. Of those six things, and I don't know this that well, but I, looking at them, four of them are about protection. Five of them, if we use the shield as well, although I think you could use a shield to bash someone with, so it could be a bit of a weaponry type thing. But it is clear that the sword is the thing that's the weapon that we do damage with in a battle. The sword of the Spirit is the word of the Lord. And three times, Jesus, knowing the Scriptures, applies them appropriately and comes back. The first thing that uh, Jesus replied to Satan about making some bread out of the rocks, he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You can, you can imagine, like, bread is good. Bread is really good when you haven't eaten anything for 40 days. My tummy right now, you, this is me paraphrasing Jesus, could really do with some bread right now, but I'm only going to be hungry again. Remember the passage a few weeks ago, the woman at the well, she wanted water, oh, but she's going to be thirsty again. It's the same kind of principle. Food is good and we need it, right? But we can't build our lives just on that. But we can build our lives on the word that comes from the mouth of God. So today when you hear the accusing voice of the evil one, whispering, playing those old tapes again, stand firm. Ask the Father to reveal who you really are and allow the scriptures to speak in those situations. And know this too. This was Jesus encountering Satan, but we have him who will defend and fight for us. In 1 John 2, it says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. The blood of Jesus, his work on the cross, gives us purity before the Father. The blood of Jesus is your shield against the enemy. The blood does more than cover your failure. It opens up your favor. His blood doesn't just guard you from accusation, but it guarantees your promotion in the presence of your enemies. We are done.